This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Now, this has been uh, one of the top stories, if not the top story, for the last several weeks. And that is the future of Ontario's progressive conservative party. As we know, the Ontario legislature resumes sitting today for the final session before uh, this spring's provincial election. However, former progressive conservative leader Patrick Brown was not there to take his seat today. Instead, he says he is campaigning to regain the party leadership. If you missed it on Friday, Brown is, well, back in the race. He's running for the leadership of the PCs. And has joined four other candidates in that race, one of which is our first guest on the program. That's PC leadership candidate Christine Elliott, and Christine joins us now. Ms. Elliott, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Well, why did you decide to enter the leadership race? Maybe we'll start there. Well, I, I had to enter it. I've, I've done this before, but I just couldn't sit back on the sidelines and see what's happening to Ontario. I'm really concerned that life is becoming increasingly unaffordable for Ontarians and that we need a new government, that the Liberals have uh, done a poor job on all fronts, and I want to be part of the solution and uh, to lead us to victory in the next election. This is uh, going to be the third PC leadership race that you're taking part in. Uh, You lost to Tim Hudak in 2009 and Patrick Brown in 2015, uh, is the third time the charm? I guess you're hoping so. Well, I certainly hope so, but I can tell you that you learn from each campaign, and I what we're doing now is very different from previous campaigns. We have a strong team of people that are working across the province with our members to try and get support for me. Uh, we also uh, need to be competitive in every riding because each riding carries 100 points. And so whether you have 20 members in your riding or 2,000 members, they all count for the same number of points, 100 points overall. So so we're, uh, we're working hard in every riding across the province. Fair to say that this is your last kick at the can at politics? Uh, definitely. In terms of leadership, yes. Yes. And I think that um, I've taken what I've learned in the past, and it's uh, looking very comfortable right now in terms of where we're sitting. Of course, it's not a time to sit back. Um, we're going to continue to work really hard until um, the voting is finished on March the 8th and uh, hoping for a very good result on the 10th. Aside from uh, Mr. Brown, we also have uh, Tanya Granick-Allen, Doug Ford, Caroline Mulrooney. Why is Christine Elliott the best candidate to defeat Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals? Experience. We have a, it's, this is a very unusual leadership campaign being so close to a general election. It's only about 100 days away, and so we don't have time to, uh, to risk on an inexperienced leader. We don't can't have a leader in training. We need somebody that's ready to go now. And I am. I have been elected four times to the provincial legislature. I've served as an MPP for nine years. And I've had the chance to travel across the province to understand what the uh, regional issues are, the concerns, as well as some of the solutions. I think that's really important so that if you are, if I am elected as leader and then running in the general election campaign, I need to understand those concerns and develop public policy that's going to make life more affordable for people and allow our businesses to grow and thrive. So 
So I think that experience is really important. Plus, I've worked exclusively in the healthcare area for the last two years. And since healthcare is the biggest issue in the budget, um, I think that's something we need to talk about because there's a lot of people that are very unhappy with healthcare in Ontario right now, um, especially in the area of long-term care. We're chatting with uh, PC leadership uh, hopeful Christine Elliott here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick Zamperin in for Scott today. A lot of those qualities you just mentioned, Patrick Brown has those. Um, so why should they pick you over him? Has his time passed? Well, I've had more experience in provincial issues than than Patrick has. I know he was the previous leader for several years, but I was there for nine years, and I understand the history on on many of the issues. Uh, I can read, I can jump right back into it. But I've also had the experience of traveling, and my community work has also been very important to me. I have been involved in a number of community organizations over the years from our local children's treatment center to our local mental health agency and our hospital foundation. So I have that experience both within Queen's Park, but also outside Queen's Park in, in as a volunteer in community organizations. And I think that's also really important if you really want to know of what the issues are that are causing people problems and have some idea of how to fix those problems. Is Patrick Brown's uh, entry or re-entry into the leadership race going to be a distraction? No, certainly not for me. Um, I continue to remain focused on working to make sure that we get all of our supporters out and and work to um, uh, have a successful result on March the 10th because the overall goal, after all, is to work on winning the next election, defeating Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals. And so my goal is to help unify the party, to bring the various groups together. We need to unify into one strong, united team and then go and win the next election. So I'm going to continue to work on that. Provided me with a pretty good segue into my next point. Uh, CHML talk show host Bill Kelly made uh, a great point in his blog today. You can find it at 900CHML.com. He writes, quote, Only a few months ahead of an election, the Ontario PCs lack a permanent leader and a platform. Already some voters are asking if these guys can even govern their own party. Why should we think they can govern Ontario? Fair point? No, I think that what people are hearing about are some of the... uh, We've had some problems recently, that's true, but we have a very strong foundation and we have uh, great MPPs that are already working at Queen's Park. We have a tremendous slate of candidates, uh, very diverse backgrounds and communities uh, that really reflects the face of Ontario now. And we also have a platform, the People's Guarantee, that has some really good ideas in it for good public policy. So I think that The job that we have remaining is to make sure that everybody is together. After a leadership vote, there can sometimes be some hurt feelings and some people that are feeling a bit strange, but we don't have the luxury of time with that. We need to pull ourselves together quickly and then go fight and win the next election. So I feel very confident with where the party is right now and with our chance of success in June. If you win this leadership race, are you keeping the people's guarantee or can we expect some tweaks? Well, I've already announced that one piece that I do not agree with is the imposition of carbon tax. Um, Ontarians are taxed enough already. 
they're hot, finding it hard in some places to both pay their hydro bill and put food on the table. So the last thing they need is another tax. I do know that we need to be environmentally responsible as well as fiscally responsible. So we are looking at some other solutions. But as to the rest of the platform, uh, there are some really good ideas there. Would I want to proceed with absolutely everything? There would probably be some things that are not major that I might not proceed with, but the basic, basic elemental planks, yes, I would. I think they're, they're good policy and should be implemented. PC leadership candidate Christine Elliott is our guest here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Scott today. Whoever wins this race doesn't automatically become premier. There's still an election campaign to run. Uh, how do you envision your campaign running should you become leader? Well, you literally have to hit the ground running as of March 11th because there's no time to waste. And we have the uh, groups and organizers across the province. We need to get out, get teams of people out, speak to the candidates, make sure that the candidates have the resources that they need in order to run successful campaigns, get them uh, information on background notes on the on the policy and so on. I think most of our candidates are already familiar with it because the the uh, platform was released last November. So we need to just make sure that they're ready to go and they want to uh, to move forward. It's a little awkward for them right now without having a leader, and a lot of the discussions get caught up in that. But we need to just get going right away. Uh, it's really no secret that Hamilton has been Death Valley for the PCs over the last number of elections provincially. How can the progressive conservatives win any seats or a seat in Hamilton? Well, we don't take any of the writings off the table. I think that there are seats in Hamilton that certainly could be won because we are hearing from people from everywhere in the province that they are fed up with the Win Liberals. They want change. And I'm confident that when they read our platform and they speak to the great candidates that we have running in the Hamilton area, Donna Skelly, Esther Pauls, Dr. Duncan, and so on, that they will be very happy with what they're hearing and feel very comfortable in placing a vote for the progressive conservatives. Last question for you. A bit of a curveball. We're doing this in our third hour of the show. We're talking about movies. And if there was one movie that you uh, could watch for the rest of your life. There's only one movie available, and you had to pick it. What, what would that movie be for you? My favorite movie of all time has always been The Wizard of Oz. I've watched it from since I was a kid, and it still ha- is magical for me now. So I would say Wizard of Oz. Good choice. Timeless classic. Christine, thanks for the time yeah. today. Good luck with the campaign. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Rick. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We're going to continue our discussion about payday loans or payday loan companies in Hamilton. City Council voting to limit the number of these outlets to 15, no more than one per ward. Good idea, bad idea. We spoke with Tony Irwin, the president of the Canadian Consumer Finance Association, about his thoughts on what was decided today at Hamilton City Hall. To the other side of the coin, Sarah Mayo is uh, Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton member and joins us now on the Scott Thompson Show. Sarah, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. Uh, your reaction to today's decision at uh, City Hall? I think uh, it's a, a, a any move that uh, decreases profit for the payday loan industry and increases protection for workers is a uh, is a very good move 
I don't know if you heard uh, uh, Tony Irwin's comments, but he basically said, uh, or at least agreed with me when I said uh, payday loan companies are seeing this as being unfairly targeted. Your reaction to that? Uh, the unfairness has come in the way that payday loan industry has been unfairly targeting uh, low-income workers. Um, certainly, the unfairness also comes from the fact that banks are have have also have have, have withdrawn their services from low-income neighborhoods, which is contributing to that. But but the uh, the only reason that that payday loan industry is targeted uh, very fairly because they have uh, exploited people and taken advantage of poor regulation, uh, low amount of regulation from the province and have taken advantage of these loopholes to exploit people and put them into even worse financial situations. Fair to say we have these payday loan outlets because uh, the big banks or the credit unions uh, simply don't want to cater to those who are desperate to make ends meet? Well, certainly uh, banks uh, have, have withdrawn. You know, our research shows that in 1995, there were 38 branches in the lower city, and now there's only uh, 25 bank branches in the lower city. Um, so, so certainly in lower com- income areas uh, across the country, we see banks that, that um, don't want to serve that population because banks are, like payday loan industry, is most interested in profits. And uh, but banks have a bit more uh, don't want to be seen as unethical and so don't want their brand uh, to be tarnished by um, having such high interest rates as the um, as a payday loan industry. And so aren't offering these kinds of products. So why not just ban payday loan companies from low income areas or is that almost impossible to do? Uh, well, it's possible to do in Quebec. Uh, in Quebec, they have uh, uh, basically uh, regulated the market so that um, all lenders, no matter how small their loan is, it ha- can only charge a maximum of 35% interest rate a year. Unlike payday loans in Ontario, where it's over 300% a year they can char- they, they are charging. So, uh, in, so because it's not profitable, there are no payday loan uh, outlets in Quebec. And uh, there, it's not a problem. Uh, low-income workers are able to uh, find other ways of uh, managing expenses and aren't uh, aren't exploited by the industry and are protected by the government uh, from that exploitation. While you see today's decision at Hamilton City Hall as a positive, uh, is it going to make a big impact? Well, it'll it'll certainly impact the growth. Uh, the current lenders, there's about 40 in Hamilton, um, and about two thirds are in the lower city, uh, are um, are exempted from uh, are grandfathered in. But it means that if one closes, another one can't replace it, or, or there can't be more growth uh, in it. And so that's certainly a an imp- uh, a, a good thing. But there's more. It's really the province that has to step up more. They've done some changes uh, to reduce profitability. Um, I mean, that's why they they've exploded. You know, they're they're in the business of making money, and they have been making a lot of money, and that's why more people are opening payday loan industries. Uh, payday loan uh, outlets, and so uh, it's um, it's really up to the province to do more uh, to make it uh, to protect uh, consumers and workers. Uh, we were going through some of the uh, the statistical, uh, um, uh, I guess, equations that uh, these payday loan companies will implement. And Tony Irwin was basically saying that ninety percent of the loans that are taken out are paid back in full. I'm not sure I entirely believe that number. I think that might be a little skewed in terms of how much an individual 
uh, accepts from these outlets. Yeah, what, what well, are some so of the horror stories that you've seen? Because there have been some horror stories out there. Oh, there are horror stories. And, of course, the, the payday loan industry can't be trusted to uh, give uh, accurate uh, statements uh, in, in, in that we've seen the lack of ethics. We spoke to, um, of, of that industry, we spoke to a former payday loan employee who talked about how anything that wasn't illegal um, but it didn't matter if it was ethical or not, was uh, was allowed. And so, for instance, if someone had to pay back multiple, um, had, had multiple loans to pay back uh, and, and gave multiple checks, they would uh, they would be told, the bank, the, the payday loan managers would be told to cash the biggest check first, so that, um, which would more likely lead to an NSF charge than the smaller checks. Hmm. And then that way they wouldn't be re- they wouldn't get their money back, and they they would have to um, uh, roll over to another loan. So so you know the ethical practices of of these businesses uh, has has shown to be lacking, and um, and there's you know even even if those loans are paid in full, that's exactly the problem. The the paid in full means with the interest, and right. the interest at three hundred percent a year. Uh, leaves people in a much worse financial situation than when they started. So Hamilton still has 40 outlets because they are still financially successful. I don't really envision any of these 40 closing up shops. So for those people who are out there and they are listening or they have a family member who's tapped in one of these outlets, how do they get out of that cycle? Where can they turn to? What should they do? Well, there's the nonprofit. They can Google the nonprofit um, uh, credit counselors in Hamilton uh, that don't charge a fee and that are um, and that are there to uh, in the best interest of the um, of the of the person. Uh, also, Catholic Family Services has a uh, financial does financial um, uh, counseling uh, for free. So people should certainly uh, look into uh, free services that are um, not funded by um, that that are not based on on taking out more loans with with the with the company. Uh, certainly, payday loan uh, I- industry is not is not the one that that will give you the best financial advice. Sarah, appreciate the time. Thanks uh, a lot for the uh, uh, insight into how this uh, situation works and how it's going to work in Hamilton. And uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Sarah Mayo from the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. We have a caller on the show. We only have about 90 seconds to get to this caller. But, Gabe, you have the floor for the next minute. Go ahead. What do you want to say? Hi, Rick. Uh, listen, it's in regards to the banks not accepting uh, clients uh, like those that you're talking about. Yes. Well, there is, there is one particular bank I think the city should approach, and that's the credit unions, the uh, the. Uh, First Ontario Credit Union uh, banks, and I suggest that since they're paying ten million dollars plus in uh, signage rights to both uh, former Cops Coliseum and Hamilton Place, they should tell them that listen, if you want to do this kind of thing for us, not a problem, but we'd like you to explore the, the possibility of opening up your your banks and your hearts to these unfortunate folks that have to go to these payday loans and. Uh, so that's, that's about it, uh, Rick. I appreciate the call. Thanks, Gabe. I think it's a great thought, but credit unions are also in it uh, to make money. They're not a non-profit group and very much different than a bank. But, again, I appreciate the thought. Be like all of us pooling our money together to help these individuals. My thoughts on this at the end of the day, you know, capping the number of payday loan outlets in this community, in any community, 
uh, to, to 15, to 10, to 5, to 1, to whatever, a person who is in desperate need of money to make ends meet, to pay the rent, to buy food, to do whatever they have to do, they're going to find one in the city no matter what. And it's too bad they have to do so, but they're going to find it and they're going to stay in that, as, as we call it, the vicious circle. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Members of the rock band Headley have withdrawn from consideration for three awards at this year's Junos in the wake of sexual misconduct allegations that have been circulated by anonymous social media users. Last week, uh, they were dropped by their management team, uh, blacklisted by scores of radio stations, including Chorus, the parent company of 900 CHML. Uh, Their opening acts have abandoned them. Uh, Despite all of that, the band says it won't be canceling 23 shows. It is booked through March 23rd because, quote, the easy thing to do would be to cancel the tour and hide. Well, here to discuss this issue is Camille Karamali, reporter with Global News Toronto, and joins us now. Camille, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me, Rick. Um, Well, your thoughts on not, not only what has happened, but how Headley has responded to the allegations. Well, I mean, first of all, it was interesting to see the fans' reaction last night in Barrie, but uh, it seems like Headley is just trying to put this behind them, move forward, uh, and uh, uh, just sweep everything under the rug. Uh, You know, they didn't really address any of this on stage, even though obviously this news has gone rampant since it uh, broke a little while ago. But, uh, you know, they addressed it. They sent out a statement. And uh, obviously, we had to do the drive from Toronto to Barrie to go to the concert. And on the way, I tried to get a hold of the tour, their uh, new PR manager asking if they would do an interview. Uh, they said no. That that statement, which you just read, part of what you just read, was the only uh, sort of communication that they were doing addressing these allegations uh, prior to these concerts. So uh, really, my take on their strategy is they're doing what what they feel is right, what they need to do to try and uh, move on. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, I mean, I, I, I think I'm not the only one who says this. It was, it looked like a sold-out crowd there, so it looks like the fans are buying what they're selling moving forward uh, on these allegations. And that's understandable. If you're a fan of a band, you, you've grown up with these individuals, so you you know, there's attachment to them. You know, some people might leave, and I wouldn't uh, begrudge them for doing so. You know, obviously, it's their, their right to make their own uh, judgments and analysis, uh, but fans are, are going to be fans, and certainly they, they love their music, so it's understandable that they're going to stick with, you know, the band that they like. Uh, the reaction that they got from the crowd, though, do you think they were expecting that, or do you think they went into that show thinking, man, what's going to happen? I don't know what what they were expecting, to be quite honest, but I can tell you, you know, people I spoke to, and obviously, uh, you know, before we go out to a story, I chat with several people, my producers, my news directors, just to, uh, you know, feel out how we should handle this. It is obviously a sensitive topic uh, with the anonymous allegations on social media, some uh, you know, alleging that they were there were even sexual acts with 14-year-olds, with young teenagers. So it is obviously a very sensitive topic, so we obviously have a big talk moving forward. But, uh, you know, when we went to Ticketmaster, when we went to StubHub, uh, we thought there would be several seats left, hundreds if not thousands, just based on the online backlash we'd seen. But there were very few tickets available, Rick, so that was kind of surprising for us. And I'm sure as a band, they must have 
uh, you know, check Ticketmaster, seeing what the what the situation looks like. I'm sure if there were only uh, a few hundred tickets sold, they, they might have considered canceling. So, um, you know, going on the stage, uh, they received a huge roar, a lot of support. You know, uh, moms and their daughters were screaming for them, cheering them on. Um, so, I mean, I was surprised to see the reaction they got, the positive reaction. Um, you know, were they? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> We shall see going forward if that reaction continues. I'm, you know, if I'm a betting man, I, I would gather it, it will, as long as, you know, those fans continue to go to those concerts. Our guest is uh, Camille Karamali, reporter with uh, Global News Toronto here on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott. Uh, Headley certainly found guilty in the court of public opinion. Uh, we started the show today talking about, you know, Patrick Brown. We all know about what the court of public opinion had to say about him. Um did did the Junos act too fast? Did did radio stations, and including you know Chorus Radio, the parent company of 900 CHML, did they act too fast in uh, throwing Headley under the bus or doing what they had to do? Well, look, I think this is fairly new for all of us. I mean, this Me Too movement is still fairly fresh, and uh, you know a lot of uh, people who are being uh, you know uh, who are getting the fingers pointed at them. Uh, for these allegations, are like Patrick Brown, are saying, "Look, we have nothing against the Me Too movement. Uh, it is great; it's revolutionary." But the issue is, uh, you know, a lot of people are being persecuted under the court of public opinion prior to any due process. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a feeling out process for everyone. I mean, we saw Patrick Brown's uh, own staff members jump off the bus uh, that night. Uh, which I was there for when he did this 9.45 p.m. emergency press conference announcing that these allegations, uh, according to him, are false. So, uh, you know, I think the process so far early on is for everybody to just run away, even though there hasn't been anything proven quite yet. And we've seen it time and time again, as soon as uh, word gets out about uh, somebody or a group of people uh, related uh, to these allegations to uh, of anything of sexual assault or related to sexual misconduct, everybody wants to stand as far away from that person or that group of people as possible. And and uh, I think that's the early inclination for a lot of people. But uh, as we've seen with Patrick Brown, who has been able to rebound uh, in a sense where I didn't think we would see him rebound. You know, he's done his media circuit. And now he and and if you look on Twitter, if you look on social media, a lot of people are standing by him again. So uh, it's still early days in the Me Too movement. Uh, I, you know, a lot of this is new for a lot of us, including reporters. So we're we're kind of seeing how people are reacting and and whether it's the right way to go or not. Uh, we got about thirty seconds here. You mentioned Me Too, uh, certainly a, a, an issue, and it was touched upon at the SAG Awards at the Golden Globes. Michael Bublé is going to host the Junos on March twenty fifth in Vancouver. Does he steer clear of the whole Headley issue? Uh, look, I, I think if you are Michael Bublé, there's there's uh, there's more harm that can come of mentioning it than good. Um, you know, uh, it, and and this is just my perspective, but um, as I mentioned, just based on what I've been seeing and witnessing as a reporter uh, through these allegations, through these countless allegations that that keep coming. Uh, but with different artists, with different politicians, uh, people try to steer clear away from it as as far as possible. 
Um, and so my guess is my money's on Michael Bublé not addressing it. We'll have to leave it there. Uh, Camille, thanks for the time today. Thanks for your time, Rick. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.